Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of History Hack. And we have a good, amazing, awesome person on for you today. Alex, tell us who we've got on. We do. Uh, and this is like the third time we've tried to catch up with him to record this episode. It's been an absolute nightmare for one reason or another. But we, uh, and he, I think he started to actually feel like we were trying to get rid of him. Paul Babel, is that right? Uh, um, you're pretty much onto a win there. I was thinking that, oh my God, why can't they just come out and say it? No, I, see, the thing is, Alina's doing a hand gesture at you, which I thoroughly endorse. Um, and we also, we have Chris as well, but Chris is having some technical issues. Chris really wants to listen to this, uh, but he's just going to have to hang around in the background like a creepy sex pest because there's too much static on his line. Uh, so, because uh, History Hack, we're, we're taking it seriously now, aren't we, Alina, with the sound quality and stuff? We've all got new microphones. and, and Yeah, I got a new, you just got a new one. I got a new one. I got a new Blue Yeti. So I think my sound has kind of improved a little bit. Yeah, fingers crossed this is going to sort it out. So Paul is here and the room is full because Paul is going to talk about, drumroll, body snatching, which who doesn't love a creepy bit of, uh, well, pre-Victorian history? Because isn't this like before the Anatomy Act of, is it, oh, I'm going to yeah. myself, 1832? Kind of golden age is about sort of 18, 20, 18, 26, but it's been going on for quite some considerable time up to that point. So, yeah, but it's uh, it pretty much ends sort of five years before Victorians are a thing. So, sort of George IV, William IV kind of period. Right. Okay. So, question number one has got to be Paul, you big weirdo, how did you get into this? Um, well, mostly we started off because as uh, Alina has met us and you've seen us around doing living history at places like Chalk Valley History Festival and so forth. And we wanted to do something that was medical history. Uh, so we were going to talk about, you know, being a surgeon, being an apothecary and, uh, and stuff like that. But then we were looking for something for Rory to do, uh, who doesn't like to do anything posh. So when we threw open the idea of, well, what can we do? Well, Rory, Rory said, well, why don't we go down the route of the body snatcher? I was like, okay. So I went and started looking into a few things and, and that started digging into that pun intended and and i then got caught by the resurrectionist book which is surprisingly easy to do and then lockdown landed uh, and i was in the middle of that i know there was no museums open there was nothing i was literally sat at home with the british newspaper archive and ancestry and a few local history references and so i started to look into it a bit more and then I got into it, then I started to track down one particular body because there was a uh, a book I was reading. Uh, and I must throw out a hat tip to this book. So anybody who's interested in this, read uh, Body Snatchers by Susie Lennox. Absolute best starting point you can go for. And there was a line in there that just said, body of 15-year-old Martha Roddy was stolen from a churchyard in Armley, which was broadly around where I was living. And it was returned after a £50 reward was offered. And that was all that we got. So I got to work and started to track 
all of the records of what happened to this body, who she was, you know, where she was taken from, what she died of, where she goes, who bought the body, how much she bought the body for. And, and in it, you start to uncover like this massive web of organized crime that's going on there. It's like probably the world's most gruesome or second most gruesome black market was human bodies. Uh, and the more, you, the more you dig into that, the more fascinating it becomes. And then we expanded that into living history. And if you thought I was a weirdo at the start for just even going into this, we tried it. So we, we dug a hole, we put a box in it, we put a body in it, and uh, the techniques that we'd kind of learned and read up on, and we went and see if they worked. And lo and behold, they did. The body of what? Uh, we actually made, made this up with a resuscitation doll that we have waited to be more. So glad we clarified. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you post that on social media or am I imagining it? Um, we, we didn't film it. We did post some photographs of it. Um, we also posted some incredible photographs of when I went to pick that resuscitation doll up from a friend of ours who'd dressed it in the appropriate kind of burial shroud and stuff like that and then wrapped it. But what she didn't tell me is there was no parking in her village. So we had to walk half a kilometre, two of us, with a wrapped body over our arms, past the bank and the post office queue on a Monday morning to unceremoniously shove this in the back of my estate car uh, and then take that out when I got home and put it into my garage. There is a good, strong reason why I never get trick-or-treaters. So you didn't get the police called on you because, holy shit, I would have just gone, oh, my God, there is a man carrying an actual fucking body. I think the thing is, if you make it that obvious, nobody does anything about it. (laughs) We did literally walk past a bank queue and go, morning, and carry on. (laughs) Uh, So we kind of know what motivates you, uh, oddly motivates you. But historically, what motivates people to start? I'm guessing money motivates people to start digging up dead bodies. Uh, yes, eventually. Um, what actually motivates people to start digging up dead bodies originally is they want to complete their university course or they want to complete their medical degree. So the first body snatchers that we know of were two surgical students at Aberdeen who, because they had to do a dissection in order to uh, pass their pass their degree, effectively pass their medical certification, then they have to do a dissection. Uh, it's, uh, and you still have to do a dissection now if you're an anatomist or a physiologist or wanting, wanting to go into surgery. You're still going to have to do a dissection now. This is not uncommon. But it's probably a good idea to kind of think about how this comes about at the moment. Because if you go back to sort of 1750 which is really when all this trouble really takes off is you we stop gibbeting people because we're all civilized we still carry on hanging them and things like that but we stop displaying the corpse on the outsides of the city walls for public consumption uh, and as that deterrent Uh, and we start sending the bodies of murderers and people from the gallows off to the dissection tables of the anatomy schools and so forth so people are coming and studying they're getting to see this done they're getting to try it out themselves they're getting to pass their surgical certificates but then as we go forward over the next hundred years what we get is an awful lot more civilized we discover things like transportation and imprisonment and areas where we're keeping criminals alive Uh, we also repeal um, an awful lot of what's known as the bloody code you guys heard of the bloody code Yeah, we estimate about 225 capital hanging offences on the statute books at the time. Um, let me give you some classic examples of, uh, uh, of crimes that would get you hanged in, say, about 1800. Uh, I'm going to give you a few examples. I've made one up. OK, so this is a quiz for you guys. I need to tell me which one I've made up. So you've got damaging a fish pond, um, damaging Fulham Bridge impersonating a Chelsea pensioner, uh, harming a horse, uh, pickpocketing to the value of five shillings or more. One of those is a lie. So the horse will be right because they're valuable. The pensioner for me. You think the pensioner one's balls, right? Chris is writing his down. Chris says the fish pond is bollocks. Um, 
I'm going to go with... I'll go with the fish pond as well, I think. Okay. The one that's bollocks is the horse. Is it? So you really had it. Harming horse, that won't get you hanged. Stealing the horse will get you hanged, but harming Uh... it, no. Um, But yeah, all the rest are hanging offences. There are some other classics in there, like being uh, found in a public place after dark with a blackened face and um, being in the company of gypsies for a month or more. Uh, it's another classic. So, <laughs> so I, I'm, I sit here muted on purpose, but I've decided this episode I'm going to sit here and unmute myself and laugh hysterically like a witch in the background. Yeah. <laughs> what the freaking hell? In the black and places, because what what can you be doing that's not wrong? Exactly. Uh, when you disguise like yourself so nobody can see your face. It's I almost like think... the law we have now is going equipped for burglary. It's not that you're actually doing anything. It's that you're going equipped for it. And it's a similar yeah. sort of thing, except now what you get is a slap on the wrist in the guest slot and police interceptors, whereas there you'd get hanged. Now, we get civilised over the course of then that 500 years, and we start to re- repeal a lot of these laws and comes down to a basic kind of five or six main capital offences that stayed with us until about 1997. Uh, usuals like your murder and your piracy and your arson in Her Her Majesty's dockyards and that sort of thing. The trouble is, we go from hanging 500 people a year to hanging 50 people a year, but the demand for bodies at the anatomy schools is the same, and that's where this black market opens up. And so students start digging digging up the bodies that they need which I find really impressive because I was a physiology student and I struggled to get to a nine o'clock lecture, let alone go out at two o'clock in the morning and dig up my own test subject. And But as this takes off and more and more people are doing it, then word starts to get around. Reputations are going to get damaged and therefore the students in the anatomy schools seek professional help. Enter the body snatcher or the resurrectionist. And... They can sell these bodies for quite a bit of money. So once the once these criminal gangs come in, then it becomes all about the money. And we're not just doing it for the money, as they said in Spaceballs. We're doing it for a shitload of money. <laughs> okay, Because we, we've got this actually from a primary source, one of the few primary sources that you can get on this subject. And there is a, what's known as the Diary of a Resurrectionist by a man called Joshua Naples. And he pretty much keeps an account book of one gang in London. And I'll go, with the, I'll go with the entry here for, this is 4th of February, 1812. They're settling up and they settle each man's share. It's a gang of six. Each man's share, 21 pounds, nine shillings and fourpence for a week's work. Now, the normal wage, the normal wage, according to a survey, uh, by how, according to research by Harvard University, is a normal wage for a guy that owns a shovel and possibly a cart is about 15 shillings a week so that's 28 times your average working wage for doing a string of night shifts i mean why wouldn't you for that kind of money i would let's go do it now yeah i mean let's say okay so we're talking if instead of running this via kind of like inflation calculator because that'll give you a false result what you what you want to do is you want to compare that to minimum wage today okay so every minimum wage today 332 pound a week 17,300 a year there thereabouts okay i'm going to multiply that by 28 that's 484,120 pound per year any of you guys want that yes, uh, yes please yeah i thought you might i'm actually going to pro i'm actually going to pro rata that down uh, because you didn't work for the whole year. Nope, you got five months off. Uh, so you're actually on £282,403 a year, and you get five months of the year off. If you thought teachers had good holidays, body snatchers, really good holidays. I can't not. I'm seeing a viable career option right now. Chris is scratching. His, it's really weird. It's like a little ginger mute in the corner. He's scratching <laughs> his chin like, hmm. Yeah, it's worth a thought, isn't it? Yeah. I'm in the uh, wrong and- career totally wrong career right now uh, and alex you live in london don't you i do indeed yeah you're right in the right in the epicenter for doing this sort of thing you know you've got large cemeteries like kensal green you've got although that wasn't around at the time uh Bud Hill fields was was a classic 
Um, a lot of bodies got taken out of there. Um, then you've got the burial yards around the back of St. Thomas's Hospital, St. Bart's, yeah. Guy's Hospital, well up to its neck in this. All of the hospitals are buying these bodies and they are paying a lot of money for them. Um, they're paying somewhere between sort of eight and ten pounds a body. And these guys can get 15 out in a night. Wow. I'm so, hold on. Did you just, okay. Uh, did you say 15 out in a night? You say they can get 15 bodies out of the ground in a night. Okay. How, how would they, talk us through this. How are they actually doing it? Yeah. Because surely if it's that, that well paid, it can't be that easy. Otherwise everyone would have been doing it. There wouldn't have uh, been a grave with a body left in it. Right. Well, we don't know. <laughs> This is one of the things you can only really track a bad body snatcher. The only good body snatchers we can track are these guys because one of them actually wrote it down. But it's very well planned. And there are techniques to do it. And again, we tried this. We know you can get a body out of the ground in 30 minutes because we did it. So first of all, start with intelligence. You need, so these are not thick people. You know, you look in this body, you look in the body snatcher diary, the diary of the resurrectionist, they've got things like tables of, they, they know what the phases of the moon are going to be because you don't want to do this on a full moon. You'll get spotted. You want to do this on a particularly dark night. And um, you, they're using a wooden shovel because it makes a lot less noise than, than a standard shovel would. They're also, not digging up the entire grave. Okay, so you see a lot of you see a lot of pictures out there. Um, there's it's quite a famous one. I'm trying to remember who it's. Uh, no, do you know its name has escaped me? I thought I'd written it down. It's, it's quite famous. Uh, if you look up, you know, like just do a Google image search for body snatchers, and you'll see. Uh, and it's they, they've got this guy full coffin out the ground, body in it, guy drinking himself. A shitload of rum or vodka or something to take the smell away from everything. But you're not digging the body out of the ground. What they're doing is they're going at the headstone end, digging at the head end, and they're digging a hole down, getting to the coffin lid. They're piling that soil on the other end so that it adds the weight onto the bottom of the coffin, break open the coffin lid. And then what you do is you basically put a length of fabric or rope or some hooks around under the armpits of the body and you literally pull it up and out. And then drop everything back in the grave, gone inside of 30 minutes. There are six guys working in two teams of three across different cemeteries making making this happen. Between them, they're getting, you know, I can see how we can prove get 15 a night here. We've got, fr- we've got Friday the 6th, um, May 1811. Okay, and we've got at night, went out and got eight. Down at home all night. Six at the back of St. Luke's, two at the Big Gates. Okay, now, Big Gates is code for a cemetery. We don't actually know which one it is. Um, Back St. Luke's is the burial yard at the back of St. Luke's Hospital. There's a very real chance that the people that they sold to St. Luke's Hospital actually died in St. Luke's Hospital and were buried out the back of it as well. And so, look, there you've got eight and eight, you've got 16 in one night. There are other examples of this. Okay, it also lists who you're selling them to. But I mentioned at the start that intelligence. Intelligence is key. So sorry to leave you out of this, Chris, but one of the things that they really used in this intelligence was the ladies. So Alina, Alex, can I ask, and I appreciate if this might be a little bit of a personal question, is that either one of you that can go hysterically emotional on command? Me. Okay, good. I don't know. I think we should admit to being able to do that because it's kind of like it's like top secret girly knowledge but yeah all women can do it all women can do right not me okay so what we're going to do with you ladies is we're going to send you to funerals and then you can get all wailingly hysterical like oh it was great he was wonderful he made jam i miss him so much meanwhile what you're doing is you're noting down how deep the coffin is uh are there any defenses in place and i'll come to defenses a little later on um, what did they die of? Because honestly, we do not want to open a coffin full of smallpox. That would be really bad. You know, when did he die? Because if they're burying him and this is three to four weeks after he actually died because somebody's been doing some investigation or anything like that, then he's going to be too far gone yeah. to be used to an anatomist. So we want to make sure that we can buy that. 
We're going to check all the newspapers, find out when all the funerals are. We're going to look at all the death notices, find out when those funerals are, and you two are going along to them. Or at least one of you is going along to a funeral. The other one of you is going along to the workhouse. And you are going to claim the unclaimed body. So somebody dies in the workhouse, you're going to go, that's my uncle. Yes, I remember him. He was great. And you're going to claim that body and the workhouse isn't going to ask too many questions because they don't want to pay for the funeral. And then you're going to go and sell that body. We're really conniving. Oh, this is, yeah. Yeah, It's good because one of us can go to the funeral, one of us go to the workhouse and then we swap so they don't know that we're the same person coming back for a different body. Yeah. Uh, never underestimate the ability to pay off your grave, your uh, grave sextants as well. So they they can tell you when there's one in because they're making what? Three, five shillings a night. We're making 21 pounds a week. We, I mean, we can drop them three times their weekly wage in one night and it won't even dent our individual profits. So they don't really mind. In fact, we're in over case uh, we're doing, we're doing an actual body snatching demonstration for uh, Bromwich Manor Hall uh, in West Bromwich next month. So at time of recording, uh, they've they actually had an issue where when they excavated the graveyard, they found that there were very few graves in there that actually had bodies in them, and most of them just had coffins full of rocks because they, they think the actual undertaker was in on this. And in between the body leaving the funeral service and getting to the graveside, was actually removed from the coffin. Alina's just shaking her head. <laughs> uh, so I just surely, like you say, like they've realised in retrospect it's been done, but people must have found out that this was a massive industry or a significant industry. So how did they try and stop it? Like, what would you do? So say grandma dies and you're like, buggered if my grandma's going to end up being chopped up by some hungover student somewhere in an anatomy lab. Uh, I'll make sure that grandma stays in her grave where she belongs. What would you do? Okay, right. So a lot of this, like everything else, is going to depend how much money you've got. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll kind of go through these in order of price getting up to the really bizarre okay but the start the two poor man's defenses and these are not really that effective i mean one of them is awful uh so the first is that they would just put kind of smooth white pebbles onto a grave so you can tell if that grave's been disturbed because the pebbles have moved the trouble is what does that do it tells you where there is a body that has just been buried doesn't it that made the resurrectionist job a stacked up easier. And who care? Once the body's out, does anybody really care where those stones are? If you're coming back to the grave and going, that's been disturbed, too late at that point. So the other poor man defence is to use straw. And what you do is that in filling in that grave, once you've put the coffin in, layer of, decent layer of soil, layer of straw. Decent layer of soil layer of straw, decent layer of soil, layer of straw. You build it up in layers like that. Because again, we've tried this. Getting a wooden shovel through a layer of straw is really difficult. Have you tried it? Yeah. Yeah, we have tried it. I'm and just it interested. I'm, I'm going to go back into the back garden now and try that because that actually sounds really interesting. I've been trying to dig through sand. So I'm curious, is it worse than digging through sand? Um. I don't know because I haven't tried digging through sand, uh, but sand will collapse in on you, whereas straw is actually hard to get a shovel into. Um, uh, and again, remember, these guys are using wooden shovels. They're not bringing metal shovels with them. Metal shovels should have no problem getting through straw. Uh, what you would find at that point is if it's been done right, and I do know an occasion where this was used, but it was done wrong, and therefore the guy got away with the body, even though he was the worst body snatcher in the area. He really was. He was so bad and made such a mess that his partner actually gave him up to the authorities. <laughs> However, that would be Chris. If Chris was a body snatcher. He's nodding for a few days. There's a chap called Thomas Brown. Uh, he steals the body of a five-year-old girl because uh, you can get a lot of money for children. Because uh, what do we not do to children? We don't hang them. So there is absolutely zero method of legally obtaining the the body of a child. But he he steals the body of a five-year-old girl who's called Hannah Heeson. 
uh, and he's still from St. Mary's Church in Whitkirk. And if anyone from St. Mary's is listening, I'd like to offer you a real hat tip for all of the just help with, with the, the limited amount of research that I could do that that church offered me. Because a lot of churches really don't want to talk about people who are no longer in their graveyard. But St. Mary's was really good about this. Um, but he actually dragged the coffin out. Uh, he made such a noise that he was uh, he had to stop three times because people walked past the graveyard and looked in. Uh, her father had asked for the straw to be placed in the grave in, in accordance with that. But what I did was the, the straw was placed in, in a pile and then the soil was placed in on top of it, which point you can dig out the soil and you can very easily pull out the straw. It's not you don't even need to pull the shovel into it at that point. Um, and like I say, he, he left the place in such a state that his uh, partner, William Yardley, uh, gave him up to the authorities and claimed the £10 reward. But not after he'd, uh, not until he'd sold the body as well for two shilling, uh, for £2 and six shillings. Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So he walked away from that reasonably well-off chap. Uh, so those are you poor man's defenses. Then you get up to the ones that you're going to be paying for. Now, a really bizarre one is coffin collars. Now, a coffin collar is, well, what do you guys think a coffin collar is? All I can think of is something going around your neck to be a, something going around something. Uh, yes, it's exactly that. What it does, it's an iron or steel collar. Okay, this bend, it goes around the corpse's neck and you screw the corpse to the bottom of the coffin. And thus, when they try to get it out, it isn't going to move. But So you have to nail grandma inside her coffin? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, let's be fair, grandma is being nailed inside her coffin anyway. The whole thing has been nailed shut. What you're you're doing here is applying... like, through her. No, you're not nailing through her. So if you look at it, a coffin collar will have a collar around and then it will have two kind of flanges at the side where you would put bolts. And those would go... So that would rest on the coffin floor. The collar comes up around the neck and then you would bolt that into the coffin floor. You don't actually have to go through grandma's neck. That's that's bad even by our standards. Do you know what this reminds me of a little bit is back in the medieval time, especially in Poland and, and Eastern and Central Europe, when they I know this isn't quite the same as like sticking a spike through someone's body because they might be a vampire or a zombie. But it kind of reminds me of that. Like just in case grandma decides to come alive, we're just going to nail her to the coffin. I mean, this is still that's still going on in this time. There is a, we actually found a uh, a case in the Old Bailey. I think it's in eighteen twelve, where a guy was actually sentenced to be uh, buried at a crossroads with a stake through his heart. And that's not some like superstitious Eastern European. That's the freaking Old Bailey are actually doing that. Wow. I did. Do you know what, though? Like, we talk about this like it's a thing of the past and that. But I was talking to Nikolai's wife um, about where she's from in Nigeria. And this is, again, like people are doing this now. Like, But, but they're, not, they're obviously not waiting for people to die. But people are like, basically, if someone needs a liver or whatever, people are getting kidnapped and the liver's being removed and sold and stuff. This is, this is business in Northern yeah, Nigeria at the there's moment. There's a black market in in organs already yeah um so coffin collars what we're getting to now in terms of defense is the ones that you are paying for and these are the better ones because these are visible 
Okay. And what you're trying to do when you're defending against a resurrectionist is you're not trying to make it impossible for them to get into grandma's grave. You're trying to make grandma's grave harder work than the grandma that's buried next door. Basically, you're looking to declare your family by basically taking on the economy and uh, and making it so it's easier for them to go and get somebody else. Because when they come in, they're going to come out with somebody. You just want to make sure it's not yours. It's a good way of doing that. And a relatively cheap way of doing that is a mort slab. What a mort slab is, is a massive stone slab that you can actually rent from the church for 14 days. And what they'll do is they will bury your grandmother and then... Once they're filled in the coffin, they will put a giant stone slab on the top of that grave for four we- uh, for 14 days, by which time the body will be too far gone to be of use to an anatomist. So they will then take the slab off and then go rent that to somebody else. Uh... But a, a resurrectionist will come in, will see a mort, mort slab and go, I'm just... In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Not bothering. Hey, and then you've got a mort safe. Now, mort safes, I love mort safes. You can see these all over Scotland. There's, there's still loads of them. Edinburgh uh, is full of them. Uh, and they are, they're like the big wooden cage. So if you see that thing that goes around on the internet, that where uh, there's a picture shown, it's got a, it's a grave with a cage over the top of it. And it usually comes with the heading, oh, I've got questions here. Or is this to stop the vampires coming back? It's not. It's, not. it's to stop and deter the resurrectionists from getting in. Uh, so they're big iron cages. Usually... They've got spikes on the bottom of them and they're about a metre long and you hammer these into the ground and they cover the grave. So trying to get into that is is a nightmare. In fact, the only things that can dig in that are rabbits. And quite a lot of the graves that have still got mort safes on them now have got rabbit warrens in them. Well, the bunnies also need somewhere to live. Yes, even if it's in someone's creepy, creepy grave, yeah. I just, um, do you know what? Think I swear, if I, have, if I have nightmares tonight, this is your fault, by the way. <laughs> um, going up from that, if you wanted to cover not just a grave, but say a flam- family plot, then you can do a caged lair, which is very much the same thing. Uh, giant cages, Glasgow Cathedral has got three surviving examples of these. And the beauty, the sheer beauty of Glasgow Cathedral is all of the paths around its churchyard are on google street view if you want to go and look at what cage lairs look like get onto google street view zero yourself in on glasgow cathedral and go for a virtual wander around that churchyard you can see what the cage lairs look like though they're still there three classic examples then we get into the bazaar are you ready for bazaar ladies and gent hold on this has not been bizarre yeah it's not exactly been been normal so far but go on Okay, cemetery guns. And these are giant calibre muskets that sit on the top of gravestones with a tripwire attached to them that is buried within the grave. Okay, this is, for me, one of the crazy... Well, not exactly the craziest defence, but when you think about it, there's no point in doing it, apart from this whole deterrent thing. Because, no, if you've got... If you think I'm making these up, Okay, Preston Hall Park in Stockton on Tees has one in its collection on display. Okay, it's mounted on top of the headstone, the tripwire coming down. And the idea being is that if you're digging into that grave, you're going to hit that tripwire and it's going to blow your bloody head off. What bollocks? I mean, the first thing (laughs) that I'm going to do is I'm just going to cut that wire. (laughs) First of all, or I'm just going to turn that cemetery gun round. It's just that it's it's going to have so little effect. It is it is unreal. But anything we can do, of course, the Americans can do much crazier than we can. Wouldn't you agree? 
I, I'm dreading what you're about to say. Okay, there is a patent registered in the United States Patent Office for the coffin torpedo that is basically a booby-trapped grave. Ah, oh, right. Chris is getting like I think Chris has got a semi at this point. He is like <laughs> literally getting more and more excited the further down this list you get. Uh, and you've mentioned torpedoes, which sound boaty. So I think he, he's got a torpedo situation of his own going on right now, haven't you, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> he's laughing his head off uh but he yeah our little ginger mute gone um it's i i've looked at this patent i cannot for the life of me work out how it actually works but the idea being is that if you actually open the coffin lid at all any part of it then an electrical charge is delivered into a stack ton of gunpowder which blows the whole thing out of the ground you included like i say americans <laughs> can do it crazy <laughs> Um, that is a spread of the ways that you would defend against these sorts of things. Um, like I say, some of them you can still see now. I'm curious to know, though, I mean, obviously the torpedo thing may not have been so successful. <laughs> Sorry, I can't stop laughing while trying to ask this question. Uh, but are they, some of them, are they actually successful? Do they actually work or not? Probably the best one, in my opinion, is the malt safe. For the simple fact that if you're going in, and there's a the, you know there's a reasonable amount of funerals go on, particularly in London, uh, in your target graveyards. I mean, something like Bunhill Fields is really large. You know the, that is a huge cemetery. You know, and then you've got all the ones around um, places like Bethnal Green. Bethnal Green has got three large Jewish cemeteries in it, which has the added advantage because nobody in 19th century London is really noticing what's going on in the Jewish graveyards. Wow. And yeah. So they they were absolutely right in that. But if you're thinking you're going in and you're potentially getting 15 bodies out in a night. Okay. Time is not on your side. You want to do it quickly. So I'm going to walk in with my wooden shovel into Bethnal green cemetery. I see a mort safe. I'm moving straight on. I am not even going to start wrestling with that shit. I am just going to go straight on to the next grave along that doesn't have the mort safe on it. Yeah. It's a deterrent as well as an actual defence, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it it takes it out of the picture completely. And as far as we know, I've only, I only know of one instance where there was an empty grave beneath a mort safe and that's one of these ones in West Bromwich where we think that the body actually never went in the ground in the first place. Wow. OK, so I already mentioned it at the beginning and I'm, I'm quite proud of myself if I was right on the year. 1832, the Anatomy Act. Is that what brings this industry crashing down? Yes, pretty much. Um, like like everything else like this, you've got to kill the market. Um, you've, you've got to kill the demand. So how do they kill the demand? Well, you massively increase the supply. And that's as a result, you make it a lot less profitable for any criminal enterprise to be doing this so in the passing of the anatomy act what they do is that they open the door to the workhouse and basically say okay the unclaimed poor well you can now take you can now take them onto your dissection tables there is now no need to be paying eight ten pounds per body when you can go and get them for free from the workhouse. It's estimated across England and Scotland, in the three months after the Anatomy Act was passed, there were 57,000 dissections that no longer had to be paid for. It's impressive, isn't it? And that pretty much removes body snatching overnight. Now, one of the interesting things about the Anatomy Act and its passing is if you look up stuff, and I've seen some quite learned journals make this point as well, that it's in response to what's known as the London Birkings. Okay, that something needs to be done because in London, there is a gang of people that are actually just killing people and and selling their body. They're not even bothering. They're just killing people and getting the body. So something needs to be done. So the London Birkings are in 1828. Something needs to be done. It goes all the way through Parliament, takes years as everything going through Parliament does a results in the Anatomy Act. Now, that could be right. In fact, it probably is. 
But it just didn't sit right to me. And like I said, I was a physiology student and an anatomy student. I'm a scientist at heart more than I'm a historian. And something about that just didn't make sense to me. Because if you've got people that are getting offed and their bodies are being sold, they're probably not your aristocracy, your upper middle class gentlemen, your things like that. They're not the sort of people that can apply pressure to a politician. Politician is scared of not being re-elected. So the biggest threat to a politician is people with the vote. And those people do not very likely have the vote. However, there is another thing that happens in 1828. And that is the first time that a surgeon is fined for illegally obtaining a body by nefarious means. Now they probably have the vote. They could certainly apply pressure to some politicians at the country club, at their gentlemen's club, to have something done to stop them getting fined, to stop them having to deal with these nefarious body snatcher types. Now, it's just a theory. I honestly could not produce you a single shred of evidence that confirmed that that was the case. Doesn't stop some historians. <laughs> but, well, yeah, um, but it is, uh, it, it is a theory that I think warrants some further investigation. And who knows, I may actually find that out myself at some point at which point I will have the book rights. Amazing. Uh, Alina, let's talk about famous people. You just mentioned Birking. Let's talk about famous people. Every crime has its uh, nefarious celebrities and Burke, like Alex already mentioned, and Hare are probably some of the names our listeners have actually heard of. So who were they and what makes them so well remembered? Okay, well, it would be fair to say that they are the United Kingdom's possibly the world's most famous body snatchers. Do you know what they're not? Resurrectionists? Is there a difference? Is that what you're They are say? not body snatchers. They, they are they just... They murder people, right? They are just murderers. Yes. Oh. They never actually dug up a grave in their life. It was, it was actually the subject of our first ever History Rage podcast was Burke and Hare are not body snatchers. And yeah, they... They did sell their uh, victims' bodies to Dr. Robert Knox, who at the time was the conservator of the what is now the Surgeon Hall Museum uh, in Edinburgh, uh, at about £10 per time. But no, they actually, you see all these images, all on pub signs and everything like that, where they've got shovels in their hand. There's even a bloody movie with Simon Pegg in it where they're going and digging up Christopher. No, 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 no. If, if you take nothing else away from this, Please take away that Burke and Hare are not body snatchers. Now, we do know some body snatchers that, that are not that famous, but we've got like uh, Ben Crouch and the Borough Gang, who Joshua Naples is working with, that gave us this Diary of the Resurrectionist. And if you're interested in the Diary of the Resurrectionist, you can actually read it all online. Uh, the Gutenberg Project did a copy of a book. Uh, about the diary of the resurrectionist and in it it's it, it's got a complete transcript of the di- of, of the diary save anybody having to read georgian handwriting i talked earlier on about thomas brown um our one that was really awful so bad that he got turned over by his uh, his own people we've got the pickering gang now let's make some pickering these are my local ones um the pickering gang they're really interesting because you think if I, if I was to ask you kind of like what sort of person is, is, is a resurrectionist? What's their background? What are they doing? What, what section of society do they come from? What would you think? They're not peasants. You're going to tell us they're not peasants, aren't you? Rich. Um, actually. Yeah, they are rich, but they don't really know what to do with the money. Um, and they tend to like spend it a little like new money. But if you look at the Leeds Resurrection Gang, what we call the Pickering Gang, it's led by a chap called John Craig Hodgson and John Crabtree Pickering. Hodgson is a solicitor's clerk. Pickering is a school teacher. Uh, one of those members of that gang is a cloth weaver, a butcher, a shoemaker. There's a gentleman's valet in there. You know, these are, these are solid middle-class professions. 
you know, these are artisans. These are people with trades. You know, you you would think that this is, you know, your your, your lower class poor society that are turning to this out of desperation. They're not. This is this is almost white collar crime. Wow. Um, what do you think the legacy of these crimes is? Um, twofold, really, and one is. Uh, I sit here at the moment having had probably about two weeks ago now surgery. Thanks to body snatchers, surgeons at the time knew what they were doing, where they were going, um, what they, where all the various blood vessels, tubes were, things like that. Okay. If you, and this is going to be more of an issue for the gentlemen than it is for the ladies, but if you're trying to get rid of something like a bladder stone that's got stuck, Okay, that's going to need surgically removing. That is going to be surgically removed. You want somebody who is going in there that knows exactly where everything is. You want somebody who's done that before. This is nodding his head so vigorously right now. Yes. <laughs> I'm just watching his head just bob up and down. So every surgeon that is qualified and setting up practice in the Victorian era owes their position to a body snatcher. Wow. Famous people, famous people like Robert Liston, Robert Liston, you know, what was called fastest knife in the West End. Um, He actually, he he was almost caught digging up a body for his own anatomy school, actually stolen bodies. Um, Astley Cooper, very famous uh, Regency surgeon, probably the best surgeon in the land at the time. He was absolutely up to his neck in the Borough Gang. Uh, we have a chap up in Leeds uh, who is called uh, Robert Baker. And I swear this is why I'm positive this is why the Thackeray Medical Museum won't let me go and speak there. But they've they've got shrines to him all over the place because he's like Lee, he's like West Yorkshire's answer to Jon Snow. He he like, just gets rid of cholera and improves factory, factory sanitation. And there are shrines to him all over Leeds. He bought every body that I have been able to track in the Leeds area that was stolen was bought by him. Every surgeon knows their success to a body snatcher. The other thing that I think doesn't immediately come about because of this, but this is where that blue touch paper is lit, is the ability to leave your body to science because you couldn't do that then. And in fact, I don't believe you can do that until after the first world war, but this is where that discussion begins. So I'm saying that uh, the, the question that we've got, the last question is to ask you is, is it fair to call these one of the most heinous crimes of the 19th century, but uh, do the ends, I'm going to ask you instead, do the ends justify the means? Um, that's a straight battle of opinion. So I'll answer that question first, okay, which is, yes, I think they do. Um, surgery had to continue and is it, it was an unintended consequence. I don't think anybody set out to have things turn out like the way that it was. And yeah, I took it up. If it had happened to me, one of my relatives, I would absolutely hate it. I would be sick to the stomach. But as a historian... 200 years into the future, looking at the bigger picture with the hindsight. And yes, yes, I actually do think it was. A lot of surgical advancement was done via dissection from bodies that were obtained in nefarious ways. Uh, so, yeah. But you mentioned, is it one of the most nefarious crimes? I'm going to surprise you now. It isn't a crime. The base principle of anti-slavery legislation, nobody can own your body. And if it cannot be owned, then you cannot deprive an owner of an asset. That is the legal definition of theft. So the resurrectionists would go to great lengths to make sure that all they took was the body. So we've got reports from like newspapers and court records of where graves have been opened after suspected body snatching has taken place and what they've found is no body but they found all the burial clothes they found all the grave goods they found all the jewelry 
that the person was burning. All of the valuables, they're all still there. They're all in the coffin because they only take the body. There's a level of morality to it then? Uh, no, there's a level of self-preservation to it. Ah, okay. Okay, so if all you're taking is the body, you can't get done for theft because you cannot deprive an owner of an asset. So what you're left with is you're left with a misdemeanor of grave desecration, which carries with it something like a £10 fine, which your surgeon will probably pay, or a month of hard labour in like the local house of correction. Okay, You steal the grave goods, well, your theft, of, theft to the value of more than five shillings. What did I say at the start? Hanging. So they're very, very careful to do that. Now, we do know one that cocked this up royally. Okay, This is a chap called Samuel Clark, who's in Essex. Um, he stole a body and he also stole, because he didn't undress the body and put the clothes back in the grave, came out with the linen shroud. The linen shroud was worth more than five shillings. Now, it was post-1815, so they're actually taken this off. The bloody code had gone by now. But that was still enough to get him transported for seven years as opposed to having just a £10 fine. So, yeah. Is it one of the most heinous crimes of the 19th century? I'm sorry to say, no. It's actually one of the smallest misdemeanours of the 19th century. Remember, it carries less of a punishment than damaging a fish pond. I will leave you with this one closing thought, if I may. And that is, all of these sources that we've got, and all of these newspaper articles and all of these court records that we could call on, okay? Those are just people that got caught. We can only track a bad body snatcher because a good body snatcher will leave you no evidence they were ever there at all. And I wander around some of these sites and I wonder just how many empty graves are there? Beyond interesting, funny, grim, dark, and every other possible thesaurus kind of word synonym <laughs> you want to add onto that list, because I've sat here and laughed, sat here and gone, oh my frigging God, what the hell has he just said? And um, everything else in between. So hopefully our listeners are going to be laughing along with us and saying, oh my God, with us. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest books, you can support them, and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section thank you so much for your continued support we really appreciate our listeners and supporters planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.